The following presentation was recorded live by HAudio.com. The first thing is I have nothing exciting to say. <laughs> I wasn't chased, I didn't chase, and uh, nothing glamorous or adventurous. But uh, maybe just a few things that were something we could learn from things, people, and so on. Um, I just wanted to give some sketch of the history of some of the people that are involved uh, in the Chuva movement there. For a long time, but a after the government succeeded in stamping out religion very forcefully, and uh, anyone doing mitzvahs and so on that they caught was either arrested, was uh, killed, tortured. It, the, the great uh, purges left almost nothing over. Chabad had some people all the time. Uh, even though it wasn't open, open but the people still, uh, there were few people keeping mitzvahs in some degree, somewhat. But uh, certainly there was no learning going on, certainly there was no continuity. It was a bunch of individuals. Most people that, the I think the first spark of interest was after the Six Day War. Everyone heard about it. People became the idea of Israel, the idea of, of Klal Yisrael, the people, it sparked some interest by people. And uh, one of these people was somebody named uh, Elio Asas. He's living today in Yerushalayim. He was a person who at that time was learning in the so-called Yeshiva of Moscow. Uh, they, the, the government supported the Yeshiva of Six Talmidim as a, a showpiece. I think he was the only one, I don't know if you're talking that was Jewish there, but he certainly was the only one that had any shaykhs with uh, studying. He was, he was a serious person. He learned Hebrew, which they didn't like. He started learning Tanakh on his own. He started becoming interested in it. And uh, when he applied for exit visa to go to Israel, he was supposed to study yeshiva. Because uh, it, the, the president, the so-called president of the, uh, uh, the community said, told him that it's not befitting uh, you can't be a future rabbi if you want to go to Israel. It's just the two don't go together. And it's, it's, it's sad, but he asked them, well, what do you say in that God every year when you say Lashon Abba B'Yushalayim? So he told them, the Nusach today is Lashon Abba Moscow, the Moskva. That's the, uh, but that was the situation. He, he was an individual. And there was one old person left in Riga, which is Latvia. It's part of Russia today, who still was Shema Shabbos, and he would go for Shabbos to him. There was one or two old Jews left in Moscow who had, there was one Jew who was nifted about a year ago who had learned by the Chavetz Chaim, who taught him whatever he knew. That was it. There was nothing else. And uh, it's incredible. It, it, it's the work of an individual. He, he, was, he, he became from, he was learning, and he felt, his, his initial reason for going into Kirov was he couldn't live as an individual. It's just not possible to, to keep going as an individual. And he started teaching some other people and other people. And by the time he left, he had left over a group that, at its base, in other words, people with some contact had a few hundred people. Meaning, some contact, I mean, people would come for Hanukkah party. I mean, some minimal form, they weren't all observant. Out of that, there was a core group of, I would say, eight people, ten people at the most, who were learning at yeshiva level. By the time he left, most of them are here today. Eight of them are here today in Yerushalayim. Two of them learn in that terrace, which is a top-notch yeshiva. And there are three, no, three or four of them learn in that terrace. And they're as good as anyone else. Uh, one of them is, is especially brilliant. And, and he has, I mean, he's a future god. This person is not any different than, than a, the, a prize student in, a, in Yerushalayim yeshiva. He... Uh, and uh, there were a lot of people learning somewhat, and, some, and a lot of people who had contact with some mitzvahs of some sort. Uh, by the time he left, well, I don't know about the time he left, but now there are about 300 families that buy kosher meat. That's very easy to tell because there's one place where you can buy it. The truth is, and there, there were at least 70 families using the mikveh when, when uh, Eliyahu left. I don't know the situation today, but the Kassas I know is 300 families. The, I mean, the first, I mean, he, he, I don't know anyone who, who started with so little and went so far. He left over a, 
a, commu a community of people, uh, a community with, with people who are capable of a shaykhit and a moyal, and when the shaykhit left, he taught another shaykhit, people give shiurim, people go to other towns to give shiurim. It's, it's a flourishing movement, uh, Baruch Hashem. The truth is that the government did not bear down on them. If they wanted to, if they would have given them the same treatment that they gave in the 40s and the 50s, I don't know if anything would have been left. The, the truth is there was a change in climate in the 70s that allowed this group to go on. It's clear. I don't, I, there was no real harassment or persecution. There's one other person in the history of this that's worth mentioning. It's somebody that I can't get over my hispilus for him. About eight years ago, a simple English Jew, a person whom if you, would, you couldn't pick him out of a crowd, not an especially brilliant person, not a leader, not uh, a wealthy person, someone who works as a salesman, makes his Pinasa, didn't have yeshiva background, is a from English Jew, one out of a hundred thousand other people like him. He happened to be there, and he's, he met Eliyahu Asas, and he was overwhelmed by seeing a few people sitting and learning, and most of these people were out of jobs, they needed money, the government, as soon as they gave uh, an application, they were tossed out of, to, uh, to go to Israel, they were tossed out of their jobs. And he was a person who single-handedly started sending people week by week. He must have sent by now, it's eight years, on the average, a hundred people a year. It means like this, people go in, they teach other people, and this is, a, this is an ongoing process. One, you know, when I came back, someone left that same day. Two people came, went there that same day. He sent people to teach. He sent people to make contact with people one on one, and you bring in stuff which could be sold uh, and produce enough money to support people, and you bring in kosher food, which is non-existent, basically. Uh, most of the food is non-existent, but kosher food is is, is certainly not shy. It's a person that has no quality but the desire to help other people. Nothing. He, and single-handedly, he collects money for it. He, there's not a penny of it goes to himself. He, he ekes out his own living. Very, very middle-class person. He had no brilliant schemes. No, uh, nothing of any qualities but a desire to do something. And he's, there are other organizations involved, but for him as an individual... No one compares to him. There's some organizations that have more money, they can send more people, and they jumped on much later onto the bandwagon. And this is a person whose schusim, who's, uh, for what he did, on the basis of just wanting to do, is, is not possible to be Meshire. And uh, the people that go in are people usually uh, who are capable of teaching also. And this is, this is what guided this whole group. They were able to learn from people, they were able to learn on their own. And still today, there are two people sitting and learning full-time. People that are capable of going in any yeshiva, they sit and learn full-time. They have Rabbanim that come in and pass Meshailas occasionally from the outside. They have people who teach Mila, Shechita. They have a Sheikhit. Now, at this point, about this year or so, the government became a bit more lenient. And officially, a Sheikhit is allowed a Sheikh from the shul. He Sheikhs chickens for everyone. He's quasi-government employed. They all opened up the mikveh. It used to be that some people would have to travel hours, literally hours or, or a day. People outside of Moscow would sometimes, it would take them a day and a half to go to the mikveh. And uh, now they open up another mikveh. There, there has been some loosening of... Uh, I also wanted to mention another point that I felt was, very, was worth mentioning. You read a lot in the papers about people who are arrested for making demonstrations, protests, and so on and so forth within Russia. Generally speaking, out of these few hundred people, not one person was ever arrested. And the reason is, if, you want, if your only interest is to keep Torah and mitzvahs, and you're willing to do it quietly, you can get away with a lot. And evidence, they've gotten away with, uh, with an awful lot. It's only, there's one part of, there's a certain secular type of approach that we have to do it and they should allow us to do it. Let's flaunt it. Let's, it's not so much that I want to keep kosher, it's I don't want you to stop me from keeping kosher. And, and it's very important to, to understand, I think it's a basic difference in hashkafa between 
uh, a Torah Jew, and, 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 and a Jew who is semi-secular, at least has a lot of secular culture in him. There, there is none of these people are interested whatsoever in changing the Russian government. They would, uh, I mean, they would like to get out as quickly as possible. And if they can keep up Torah mitzvahs quietly, they're more than happy to do it. And, and it's, it's a very tacky affair. If you keep things quiet, not uh, open, you can get away with an awful lot today. It, it, it was not like that 25 years ago. It went, if you caught somebody uh, mulling a child, uh, making a bris, you are, you are bound to be tortured for 25, 30 years. Today it is different. And, and the, the approach of, of, of a Bentayra is, he's interested in keeping Torah and mitzvahs. There, sometimes, there are times when it helps, loud protests and, and demonstrations. There's something to weigh already the, the value of it versus, versus its, its damaging effect. But if someone who really wants to keep Torah and mitzvahs can do it quietly, they are more than happy to do it. So you have these people uh, who almost can do anything. They brought in a lot of love and menasraigim. They had enough to go around this year. Again, because it was done without making a parade. No one marched over to the Russian embassy with love and esregim and took a picture of them asking them to give it over to the Jews of Moscow. It was brought in and, uh, you know, it passed in as something. It, everyone knew what it was. It just wasn't called by its name and it got in. As long as people were willing to keep it quiet, the attitude today was, let it go in. There's another point that I found, I think people should realize. The great majority, the vast majority of Jews there don't want to leave. This is, I think it's part of the Golas. When, when we learn about Mitzrayim and you say that 80% of people left behind, you see people got absorbed into the culture. Not only, it's not only a question of, of holding of communism, which there aren't that many diehard fanatics left. But the idea, there's nothing more, it's, it's a country built on, on a very material approach. The only thing that exists are objects and things that are tangible. And, and the, you, it's very hard to talk to somebody and tell them there's something more to it. You, can't, you, it's, you have to awaken religious feelings by people that they've just about been extinguished. Any, any idea, you can't approach people with any idea that is... Uh, you are, usually most people that do open up are either very sensitive and intelligent people, and that's why you constantly hear this person is a doctor, this person is an engineer, this person is a scientist, because it's mostly very intelligent and, and people with some sort of finer feelings that were awakened to, to religion and to Yiddishkeit. And also, the, sometimes when one person leaves that Israel, it creates a shock in the family. But most people have gotten the mentality of, I'm here, I eat, what, what, what are you offering me there that I don't have here? And, and it's very hard to start listing material goods. You, you want to try to awaken some sort of feeling, and by most people it's very difficult. I've, I spoke to a few families that were not religious, and the only, thing, the only leverage for, for talking was the fact that some of their children had come out. So another impression I had that I think is worth giving over, I, we once spoke about the Dora Flogger, that they tried to make a unified society without a Baruch in the middle. It, it's, it's amazing, you come to a place where it's a society built on every person helping everyone else, everyone doing for the common benefit, everyone not taking for himself. I have never seen ruder, surlier, nastier people. People don't smile, people... If the receptionist at the desk doesn't have to do something for you, she won't do it. Unless you can throw the book at her and point at where it says that she has to do this and this, they won't. There's no, people are, there's a certain, on a personal level, they might be different, but in general, the selfishness, because everything is material, because there's nothing of ruchnius in it, there's, there's no expression whatsoever of chesed in anyone. There are laws, it's also very fascinating, you, you read the Medrash on stone, you think it's stories, there's a law that you can't sleep a stranger in your house. A stranger is not, you, you can, a fellow Russian, yes, but an outsider, the main reason is so that the corrupting influence doesn't affect your household, but it's a law. There's another law in the books, you're not allowed to give charity to anyone. That's a law. And, and the reason is very simple, because if the person is working, the government's providing for him. It's, it's kfira, it's as if you're saying the government doesn't give enough for the person. If the person 
doesn't want to work, he doesn't deserve to live. So stucca is something that you're not allowed to give. Uh, the mon- there is a stucca back in the shul, and the money goes for the Soviet peace fund, which part of it finances the PLO. That's, that's the only valid stucca left. But uh, it's a law, and the law has a reason to it. It doesn't, it doesn't seem strange when it's in context with, it with everything else. <laughs> Another observation that I found that I think is worth learning from the uh, the group as it flourished had a lot of components to it. Some of the people in the middle were very strong learners by nature. Some of the people put in time learning, and there were a lot of people that were attracted by conviviality, the atmosphere, the warmth, the niceness, and so on and so forth. Things happened over the years. It, it doesn't. It didn't stay. It, people left. Core people were taken out and came to Israel, such as Assas and some other people. By and large, <coughs> the less people had contact with learning, it tended to drift away. As a matter of fact, the only person who really drifted far was someone who was extremely active. He was, he was a very capable person, and anything that had to be taken care of, he took care of. He was not at all involved in learning, uh, and he drifted away. The only thing that seemed to have preserved the whole time. If a person had a strong contact with learning, even if it wasn't full-time, even if it was an hour or something, but it was very consistent, those people gradually built themselves up and became, they became solid on their own. For most of the other people that had only some sort of uh, feeling of, uh, you know, being part of a group, there was a lot of chesed between people, there was a lot of warmth between people, singing together. There was a lot of other things. But if they only stuck with, stuck with that, they either became, they drifted away. There are some people who are very depressed because, again, they weren't getting out at seven, eight years already. And if they don't have anything that they can occupy themselves with, which they feel is taking up their time and mind and, and, uh, and the personality, they, people tend to drift off in different directions. Today, I mean, again, I, I, as much of it as I saw, there is a lot of grassroots awakening. You know, it's people are teaching other people at small levels. People tend to generally invite a friend for Shabbos. They learn some Chumash with him, some Hebrew. Uh, at a center level, it doesn't have that structure anymore that it used to have. They used, when you had a group of 10 people that were core and full-time into learning and teaching, the group was very strong as a group. Today, the group has a lot of lot of offshoots, but I didn't feel there was, it didn't have the built of a community anymore. The people still looked up to the person who was a big Talmud Chacham, they respected him, but it didn't have that organization anymore. And uh, it's a result of, of having lost a big part of the leadership. But again, I found that the people who struggled, and learning over there is not easy. You sometimes have to travel three quarters of an hour to come learn with somebody, and then Three quarters now to get back. People work hard, long days. There are no sfarim available. Sfarim are either they're stolen from old shuls, which is against the law. Somebody's sitting three years for taking sfarim from Kiev to Moscow. It's, all sfarim are state property. You can't photostat anything. Photostatting equipment is government owned, and you have to, you're given something to photostat, you get back to photostat. There are no copying machines. Uh, the only other way of doing it is either people bring sperm or leave them over, which is what everyone does. Besides bringing food, you bring sperm that are needed. Or they take pictures of each page, they develop it, and they staple it together. There are a lot of sperm that I saw that were... Um, someone just asked me to find out if, if since all the sperm say they're copyright, if they're allowed to do it or not. That was someone asked me to ask a Shiloh, being that it says you're not allowed to photostat any part of this firm, if, if it applies to them also. But the uh, but that's the way. Those are the only three ways. Some of the some of the women coming for Shia traveled an hour and a half from one end of Moscow to the other. It's about an hour and a half by by train and by bus. They would come for an hour and a half and sit two three hours and go back an hour and a half. The amount of uh, the amount of, of I mean we're not talking about mysterious steps of danger, but the schlep of it, the going and the coming. Uh, there might be a month where there's no kosher meat available. If everything was trafe, that's it. There's no, there's no substitute. It doesn't, it doesn't run like a slaughterhouse. You, you have the amount of chickens you're allowed to slaughter. If they don't come out good, 
then, then they're left without, uh, without any kosher meat. Uh, a mikveh might be one in, in, in a few hundred towns, so whoever uses it has to travel in. It's, it's still, it, 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 I, I don't think that it, there's a mysterious nefesh of people being jailed for it, but the idea of people having to work hard, every little, everything that we take for granted, whether it's a safer to use, kosher food, uh, a mikveh, a minion, a, the shul could be a four-hour walk. If you, I mean, most people don't use the shul because it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's only there as either an exhibition for tourists or they have agents there looking who's training there and what is he doing there. The, the shul is not meant to be used for people. So, but when a person does occasionally, someone made a bar mitzvah, there was a four-hour walk into the shul. Besides which, in the main shul, there's a microphone and the firmer people use the small shul on the side. Uh, any questions up there? Any, yeah? Asas told me a few people asked him that question. See, when he was in a polite mood, he told them it was for the chinuch of his kids, which no one is guaranteed. You, you're not allowed. To, that, this is one thing that's still very awesome. You're not allowed to teach children. Children under 18 may be taught only in school or by their parents. Teaching someone else's child is a terrible issue, and the only way it's done is by making a party for the children, and at the birthday party, someone tells a story or something. But, I mean, watching your child grow up as a guy until he's 18 and taking a chance, it, it's, it's very hard for someone. That's when, he, that's when he's in a good mood. When he's in a nasty mood, he told the person, uh, I have protection in Russia, and I can get you a permit for, to stay there for two years. And uh, you can leave and come, but stay there for two years. It, it's not, I mean, you're living, uh, the week that I was there, I didn't feel frightened. Even though when I came in, I, I mean, I was taken apart from, you know, the, the shoes, they, they, they unglued them, and they, they were looking for money, I think. They, they were debating taking off the soles and resewing them. They also they unfolded them and refolded them. They didn't already had a work film. They 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 <laughs> no they didn't sew. No, they didn't look inside. I don't think they didn't look in the bathroom. But they took him out from the bag, undid them, and he showed. There were as soon as they saw, they didn't think I was Jewish. I, I didn't I didn't I, I didn't go dressed like this. I had I had a, a ski jacket. And, and a fur hat. <laughs> it's, uh, what? <laughs> the, the, the safety locked away in a vault. And uh, but as soon as he saw the first safe, uh, like the guy, I, you, I could see the expression on the person's face. Oh no, another one. There were there had been four people coming in that day, and they called over to other people. They went through every single item in the bag. They usually ask you what it's for, but I, I mean, just to give you an example, what this person packs for these people, uh, 10 cans of tinned meat, about 15 you know, plastic seals of meat, 15, 20 cheeses, cakes, um, medicines of every kind. There's nothing there to be had, I mean, even for someone not from. There's no medicine? Very, they're always out of, I just walked, just to give you an example of what a country without, without a simon bracha looks like. I walked into a grocery store, a grocery store near the heart of town, and the items they had there, it's a, it's a grocery store about twice as big as this room. They had white bread and black bread, three types of biscuits and jam. That was it. And two people uh, to attend the customers. That was it. Uh, in a big meat store, really in the center of town, there were three types of meat hanging, and that's, you know, from thing, that was it, nothing else. Uh, next door to the hotel, which is which was, I don't know, 50, 100 meters away from the Red Square, they have a, a fancy shop, called, it's called Condentoria, it's like a sweets. They had two types of tea, also arranged in a lot of different piles, but it's two types of tea, <laughs> three types of biscuits, and uh, one, type, one type of candy. I mean, you, you have no idea what, there's nothing there, so aspirins and band-aids and laxatives and, and uh, any, anything you want, creams, zero, there's there's nothing, to, there was no milk a whole week in Moscow, even the hotel. You wouldn't, uh, so, the per, so it wasn't a question, but everything is nerve-wracking. You never know when everything's going to fall apart. You can't, I mean, to ask the question why a person shouldn't stay there, it's, it, it, it's extraordinarily nerve-wracking. And, and no one can be done someone else. If he's able of going, let him go. It's not the, I mean, his kids, he had children who were already uh, 13, 14 when he left. 
the the uh, it, it's 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 not an, you can't ask anyone to stay there. It's not some hardships. It's everything is tense, and some people suffer. One of the people who's now very in the in in the core of the leadership group uh, is is uh, is getting out, and they're working hard to get him out because his wife is falling apart. I mean, you have, it, it's this constant stress of everything is furtive, everything is secretive, everything is unnatural, everything is drained. I mean, it, it's 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 a it's a life. It's not a normal life, and you either have to have. I mean, Asas was the only person who had nerves of steel to cope with all the people. You have to understand. When you're running a community, Achdos doesn't come naturally either. I mean, everyone has his problems. Everyone has his bickering. Everyone has... It, it's, it's not... I mean, it's... It's a nice what happened all the years. And, and hopefully that can continue. I mean, the best thing is to get them out and, and to... Uh, you if you're not involved with it, then, then you live like everyone else lives. But if you're involved with it... So if you're involved just by going to a shir, you can cope with it. But if everything is going through you and, and you're always being harassed, this person who now leads the group, who is now the head of the group, his name is Briskman. He's, he's, a, he's a Talmud Chacham and a very fine person, extremely fine person. But typical of it, he got noticed that he has to vacate his apartment. So he has a wife and two kids, and, uh, and, 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 and it's a pressure. So he, he's running around, and, not, and Friday, the, I came there, the day after, two days after I came there, the court was supposed to decide, and if they decided against his favor, then Shabbos morning they would come and tell us everything else out. And there are no apartments. So, I mean, this is a constant situation. You don't know when... What? Why was there Why? You see, what happens is there are no apartments to go around. Not enough. Nowhere enough. So you live with parents, in-laws. Everyone lives with... Usually two families share an apartment. That's the usual. Everybody. So... Uh, his grandf- he was living in his grandfather's apartment. His grandfather had died, and they claimed he has no right to be in the apartment. So he should register. In five years, they'll provide him an apartment. That's the, uh, you know, because he does deserve an apartment. He's a Russian citizen. So in five years from now, they'll, they'll find an apartment for him. But there is no officially. Officially, he has to be added there, and there's no other place. And uh, that's it. Uh, so. so he can move in with, with two other families, be a third family. The, that's the. But that's typical. I mean, so this is on and on. You don't know. Uh, they'll cut off your phone because you're making phone calls in Chutzlars, you know, in, in Israel. Uh, there's no, there's no, it's a constant grind. There's no, it's, I don't think any special fright, but just a constant uh, uh, grueling uh, battle. Yeah. Yeah. Under the impression he was saying that when someone leaves as a leader, a teacher, another one of his most serious students is going to take his place. That's where he was saying the level of the movement was at now. Whereas he likened it to break off a piece of ice and frozen water, and someone's going to rise to the occasion. See, I'll tell you, it's true. See, if it depends what the what the group consists of. If the group is not into learning that much, or even secular, so leader of a group means. Evenings, getting together, talking about Israel, receiving visitors—it does. It requires just a will to be a leader, and, and that's enough. But if you talk about leading a group where you have to pass kashilas, where you have to make sure the meat's kosher that's coming in, the mikvah's kosher, you're teaching other people. You can't just grow them like, hey, it's not a question of rising to occasion. It needs years of, of learning, of understanding. It's more than learning. You have to get a feel for it. And, and if you take off the cream of it, it takes a long. I mean, the gap between the two who are very good, there's still remnants of the old group, and the next people, there's a tremendous gap. I mean, the next people are beginning to learn Gemara. They know some rudiments of halachas, but they can't, they, I mean, Gittin, divorces there are very common. In family life, there, most people go through two or three families. Uh, during the, I mean, family life is shot there. And unfortunately, Jews are affected by it. To write a get. If, in, in, in a place like Israel, America, you need a top-notch Talmud Chacham. And exactly, getting the name clear, getting... The, every, every single thing, it's, a, it's an awesome responsibility. People are not expected to pass all the shahs. They call up and ask shahs. But at least knowing what the problems are and so on requires years and years of learning and, and learning with a quiet head, not, not with your apartment constantly being taken away from you. So in this type of group, it takes a long time for people... See, people do form small. Everyone I saw, everyone I spoke to who had been at the bottom of the rung was telling me they have two or three people they work with. 
But they all said that at a simple level, and the one person put it very well to me, he looked very depressed. He said, how much can I teach? I can teach a vit, I can teach a little chumash, not much more than that. And at least when Asas was there, I felt I had a back behind me. I had something to pull back on. Now I just don't feel it anymore. And this is typical of it. And, uh, the government would get the it could be. It also see. It also happened. Most of these people were the longest on the waiting list. They had been there. They're sitting eight, ten years waiting for it. And uh, there's another point that people. This is just a, a point that I, I found became clear to me. The problem of of refusniks of siruvniks, when they're tossed out of work, the first problem is always money. But by now. They, they, I think there's enough support being given where people can manage to live on. But it's people who have to sit and do nothing for years. There's no place, you sit in a, a one-room, two-room apartment, there's nothing to do. You can't, there's no place outside to, to spend your time. There's no place to go to. It's, it's, a, it's like being in jail. For, and, and, it, and the pressure shows on people. This is one of the reasons why the first group got into learning very strongly. And... Uh, so either you start becoming violent, in other words, you want to, do, you want to become activist, J- just to break out of it, you feel hemmed in. Or you start intrigues, or you, or you become depressed. It, it's the pressure of doing nothing, where there's, where there's nothing to do but to work. The only relief from boredom is, is a factory. And if you can't do that, then, then unless you have something else to keep you, you're shot. It's a very, yeah. <laughs> Most people, I, the, the people I spoke to, they heard a lot of bad things about Israel. Uh, and they, uh, they heard a lot of, and, and all the questions were, is it better, they, they heard that it's better to go to America. Should they go to America, should they go to Israel? They heard that in Israel, kids can't play outside because of terrorists. They have to keep them on the porch. This is a question someone very serious asked me. They heard that children, uh, they, they saw pictures on television of buses that are crowded until the top, and there's an Arab holding grapefruits outside because there's no room to get them onto the bus. You know, there, there's, they, they, there, is no, there are no newspapers. The only English, for a foreigner in the hotel, the only English language newspaper was the Kabul Times, the Syrian Times, three weeks old, and uh, the Syrian Times. Officially, uh, International Health Tribune comes under the counter, you, you're not allowed to display it. And when I was there, any time I tried to ask her, she said, for some reason, it didn't come in today, I should try tomorrow. I mean, so the people don't, the only thing they see is what they see on television and in state press. Nothing else gets in. Or what they, or hearsay from people who come. So, so they're stuck. And people write back from Israel, bad reports, unfortunately, the bad sides. And, uh, there's another point you find where the Gemara says things that you don't appreciate until you don't, the Gemara says that a shutfis, a partnership, is not a healthy state of affairs. The Gemara Barbasa says uh, the expression is a pot that is owned jointly will neither cook nor become cooled off. It's, it's always mediocre. This is a, someone who just came out told it to me and then I saw it. If you try to build a society without individual enterprise, the Gemara says it'll never get anywhere. And you see it. No one cares in the least on the way out, after you pass the customs coming out, you there's a large shop like any like in any uh, airport. There's a duty free shop, and everything is in one big shop. You have duty free goods and souvenirs and soft drinks. So there's a sign on it closed for a week for inventory. Uh, imagine in JFK, uh, you know, the the sky shops being closed for a week for inventory, and I saw people working. The two women take inventory. You know, they would mark down one, one, and and if there's no motivation, that it just it's it's. I mean, the Gemara says that they, when when the Anshik Nesagdola abolished the Yetsa of Avodazara, they succeeded. They tried to abolish the Yetsahara of Taiva, of desire, of of of, of what we call Yetsahara today, and everything stopped. It says chickens stopped laying eggs, people stopped having children. The world started grinding to a halt. And they had to reinstitute it, institute it, meaning that the world could survive without Avodah That period in mankind had stopped, and people had grown to a level where they didn't need Avodah However, the world had not come to a point where people could could do without Taiva and Chemda. 
And you see it in a society where people don't have any incentive, the society grinds to a halt. I was speaking to one person there who, the law is if you're in university, you have to, uh, you have to serve twice two-week periods on a farm helping, on a collective farm helping people collect stuff. So he told me about his experience. They were picking potatoes, and he said a raw potato is usually hard and firm. The, the potatoes were like mush. So he finally pried the secret out of one of the people that the government gave a, a quota how much potatoes they have to produce. So they found a type of potatoes, the farmers, that absorbed a lot of water and weighed a lot. So they grew it. The problem with it is, since it has so much water, as soon as you store it, it rots. But it's fine, because he, why, what does he care? He's not going to get anything out of the potatoes. So they met the quota, they ship it off to the storage house, the stuff rots, and there's a potato shortage. Then, then now they, have to, they started importing less for years from Cuba because the potatoes rot. But if there is no, there is no, you can't run a society on L'Shem Shemayim until Mashiach comes. So, and especially not the Russian Goyim, there's no, <laughs> or another, he was, he was telling me how the, it's a society that the, the whole inside of it is Sheker. They, uh, they had like each, each student, a group of students had, let's say an acre of land that they had to pick the stuff from. And he said they were picking and picking and picking potatoes and the stuff was, it didn't finish. And he couldn't, and they were yelling at them. You know, it's a good, the government says every person is capable of picking an acre of land and you, you're lazy, you haven't done a half of it. And finally, he got the secret out of one of the people. They had found out that in the States, there's some intensive farming means you, by working hard on one piece of land, you can get a lot of yield out of it. So a law came down, intensive farming, you're meant to get a certain amount of tons per acre. Again, there's no reason why they should do it. So what they did was they cleared part of the forest. They didn't register the land registry. So officially, the farm has the old amount of acres. It's producing the same amount of potatoes. And statistically, it's, it, it's the same result as the states. Uh, you know, and, and, it, and it's one big lie. It's, on, it's three times the amount of land. It's just not official. And, and this is, it's constant. It, it, the person has no cheshek to work, and everything is brushed up with sheker. It, it, through and through, everything is, is... He also explained to me why there was no milk. He told me what goes on in, in, with the cows. You have to dry food summer to, to, to have hay for the winter. So if you dry the stuff, it weighs less. So they dry the top of it. The inspector says it's dry. It rats. The cows are not to eat. They die. It, it, it's the same. It, it's building. Uh, this person who came, this this uh, who came from Russia a few weeks ago, told me. He said they tried to build a society against the Gemara. It didn't work. And he also said the same thing about medical treatment. The Gemara says a doctor who takes a small coin for his uh, a doctor who takes nothing for his efforts is worth nothing. A person responds. The Gemara says, Gemara always says, when you give money, it's mechayev someone else a kinyan. Money induces the other person a responsibility to pay for the money. He said, free medical help is one of the prides, and it's worth what it costs. And, and the people don't go to a doctor. They would rather treat themselves than go to a doctor. That's, by and large, they, or else the doctor asks you, what would you like? That's a very typical, uh, it, it's, it's true. You see that, if, if you try to change the fabric of society, the way Chazal Wokoveya, and, and the way the, uh, and especially if it's built on, on Sheker and Kfir, it, that, that's what it looks like in the end. Yeah. I'll, tell you, I'll be very honest with you. I never felt I was followed. It doesn't mean I wasn't. It's uh, the only experience that a friend of mine had was he felt once, he felt a car go reverse and take a look at him. That was it. One person of, of all these, of this group that had gone in in all the years tried to do something he shouldn't do. Uh, he tried to organize a meeting of all different groups of factions and they told him, he had organized it when he was outside of Russia. Now, he called up people that he's going to meet everybody. It's a person who had been there a few times. When he got to the airport, they took him aside and they told him, we know who you are, we know what you're here for. You wrote you here as a tourist, stay a tourist. The following day, he started phoning up the people he had made contact with. And uh, two hours later, they came to his hotel room and they sent him back on the first plane out. But uh, the, again, if a person is interested in, in keeping Torah and mitzvahs as best as possible, there's, today there's no reason. If a person gets into a brush, it's because he did something he shouldn't do. He, he was looking for adventure, excitement. 
polarization. Uh, he has a big mouth. There's no. Uh, 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 there's a there's a pasuk Yeshayah that says, "Bow your head down under the wave until the wave passes by." If a person in Torah misses Baruch Hashem today, it's possible to go to teach to learn with people. There's another half of the story, which is which is sadder even. A lot of people who became turned on to Yiddishkeit in Russia, when they come to the States, for sure they fall apart. Because most people who come to the States get lost, uh, intermarried very badly. Even in Israel, if no one is there to help the person physically, to give him, to find him work, an apartment, and so on, and to be Makarv and Ruchnius, a great, a lot of people that could have become that was that was that had a feel for Yiddishkeit become lost also. As as exciting as it sounds to go there to do something, the work now, especially that they're letting out a few hundred people uh, a month, should be in Eretz Israel. And I don't know if enough is if it, they all they need is to be integrated in a from a society, help with work and gashmias, and and, the, and these are people who by nature had some. They were searching for something, looking for something, and it's it's as important, if not much more important, to to do some kirov over here in that area. Yeah. What what are the numbers? Very not clear. No one really knows. I, I, there are the people that are really known people that want to get out number in the hundreds, but you never know. There are all sorts of people that would follow someone else's lead. It's very hard to know. I I don't think anyone has right figures. It's a secret. See, it's a problem. The only one who knows how many applications is the government, and and it's a and it's a state secret like everything else. No one knows. Yeah. If they have, so that see that that, that Baruch Hashem, it's like Yaakov Alavon. If the society is built on Sheker, you you go to a factory and work, you pull out a certificate that you're working, the manager keeps your salary and no one misses your work. So it's, you know, it's, that's the way, that's the way, because if you don't work, you could be arrested for parasitism. So it's a very, you know, that's, that's the way most people work. <laughs> it's interesting. There, there, what I, is there a what? If the people make a mistake, it's not that the, it's not the party members living it on, it's not that no one has money because the party members have it all. It's not like, it, I, I don't think that that's, they have better conditions than other people have. There is nothing because there's nothing available. No one produces anything because it has no desire to do it. Someone told me in the summer the mood is nice. I mean, I found generally people were, I didn't find any sign of happiness of life. No talking, no joking, no, no, no standing around. Everything is dead, depressing, gray. There's no, there doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to be any, any simcha sachayim. Someone told me summer it's nicer. I mean, it wasn't that, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. They, no one wants to. I, I, they want people to understand that Moshiach hasn't come yet. They're still dying to get out, and people still can't get out. Not you know, not as many as want to. But everyone feels freer. It's, I mean, for people that I spoke to that had been there two years ago now, it, it's a it, it is a free atmosphere. You you can't go around much more, and uh, people never used to. No Russian would like to go anywhere near a hotel. That was like off bounds. They wouldn't go anywhere near the street or hotels because there are always people watching to see who's who's meeting who. People today are much more carefree. They'll speak in a written the streets. Seems to be people seem to be more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. The people who started learning, how did they get the skills to learn? The first person was he taught himself Hebrew and then Chumash and Tanakh. The only Tanakh, he said, the only two sperm he had was Eov and Shayo. And he, he, was, he racked his brains. Most of the skills developed from outside people coming and teaching. There were, besides, there is one other, Agudas Yisrael in America sends people constantly, also Tamir Chachamim, who teach a big, and then these people in turn teach low, lesser groups. Gemara started because people taught, taught them. Over the years, they taught the per- I spent a large part of time learning with somebody who is, who is a, a, a Talmud Chacham by any standards, and he was teaching Gemara groups, beginning Gemara groups, intermediate Gemara groups. That's, 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 that filters down from the top. The people who went there seven, eight years ago were teaching beginners Gemara. That was it. Uh, and basic halachas. Today, uh, Baruch Hashem, you have people who are still around to teach. Uh, but you're right. The Messiahs got... And there was one person, one old... Jew or two old Jews who still knew how to teach something. There was. 
Well, we had numbers uh, announced and movements saying, oh, Soviet jury, blah, 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 400,000 applications. Those are just... I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I have no idea. No. I, I don't know where it comes from, and no one has any idea. It said. It, I mean, it said as a form of pressure, halavai. But uh, supposedly there are, there are half a million Jews in Moscow, out of uh, eight nine million people. But uh, unfortunately, the assimilation rate is, is approaches 100 percent, close to 100 percent. There is. It's it's now very bad, uh, and whoever you can get out is is you're saving a, yeah. I think I think especially now where uh, I went with someone else who spent most of his time not teaching groups or any one person per se, he went to a lot of simple people, you know, to, to almost except for two of them, they were all shame and mitzvahs. And would sit and talk and learn with the person, leave stuff. There, it is important to, to give a feeling that you know you don't, uh, you haven't, uh, you know, dumped the people over. You you keep a contact. It's very good. Each time they see a person who cares for, if someone's come to visit you and he's brought you stuff and he's learning and talking to you, it does it does do certainly a lot of good. I I, I don't have any idea on a, on a large level like what what would be optimal, what would not be. I, I don't know the, the facts and figures of that. But, what? Do you think it would be positive if yeshivas themselves thought in terms of have, you know, possibly open to standing certain numbers of people? I think, I mean, my feeling is I understand from the people that they've absorbed, I mean, just about as many as they can. Because people who speak only Russian, you can't, unless you speak Russian, you won't be able to reach to them. So you have people going in, there, there are a few groups that send people. I understood that they have just about what's possible. But I don't know. I, I, you have to ask people involved in it. I, don't, I really don't know the... Uh... See, after a certain point, if the person is not conversant in Ivrit, so either someone has to translate, or he's not even interested in seeing foreigners. A lot of the people who are not refuseniks and haven't applied to go are afraid to meet foreigners. You'll find uh, they, they would rather not because they're afraid of what trouble they'll get into. The, the older people, the people who've been in a while, they really couldn't care less. But some of the other people, uh, they didn't want their name to be given even for, to bring stuff to them. You just leave it by this person and we'll pick it up. That, that was a, a, some of the responses. How did you spend your time? Had I spent my time? About a half a day, either the morning or night, depending on the day, I would learn with this one person who was the strongest learner of the group. Uh, I, 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 I mean, he's learning Gitten. We went through two kilos Yaakovs that he had caches on. There was an Indian in the I mean, the caches he has, he happens to be a brilliant, I mean, he's, a brilliant, he's 25 years old. He's very, very smart. We went through the Sergei Vesodachalaisa say in Yavamis. I mean, we, 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 this is a person I learned through Tachad Yasvaka I mean, he's somebody who, who's extraordinary in his abilities. Then the other part of the time, I would either spend, the, half of the other time, I spent teaching groups, either Intermediate Gemara, Beginner's Gemara, a Mishnayas group, Pasha Shavuot for women, and another Gemara group, or visiting individuals at their home, speaking a little bit. Almost everything was in Hebrew. For, for some of the groups, for the women's group, I spoke in Hebrew, someone translated in English. Uh, in Russian, I'm sorry, in Russian. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, some people, a few people were able to speak English fluently, but that's it. Not, uh, I met one girl who was brought up. Her, her grandfather had been from yet and sat in jail. I asked, like, I, her father told me he sat in, the, in jail. He asked him when, in the 30s? She said in the 30s, in the 40s, in the 50s. And had he not died in the 60s, he would have sat again in the 60s. He was, some, he was one of the few from people a sheikh had left over. And his daughters must be about 16, 17. She speaks Hebrew like an Israeli. She's dressed and and bears herself like her manner and, and, and is like she would have been brought up in the nicest home in Israel. And uh, she was speaking to me. She asked me where my kids learn, what do they, what career do they want to go into? Siester, and what are you th- thinking of a career? So she said she doesn't know. She said, it might be maybe it's a dream or a fantasy of a child, but she would like to teach Lamuda Kaidah someday. Uh, you know Hebrew. Uh, I found I, it, was, it was very moving. I mean, 
I couldn't, it was somebody brought up without any contact with anyone from, and, and her deportment and her speech and her dress, everything was, was befitting the nicest home in, in Eretz Yisrael. That was amazing to, to see. She showed me Mirta Valyor put together by pictures, a whole safer put together from from pictures. Uh, so the government does really farm or not? Like what were the if I the I brought in if it's if it's only the amount needed to uh, for your own personal use, they let it in. And only campus uh, It's for my personal use. I came for holiday, I eat special. They knew I was Jewish. So and they also see since they don't understand people outside, they figure all foreigners are, are crazy as far as they're concerned. Then, I mean, they never saw a person come in with six pairs of skis and a guitar. They never saw a person, a person came in with a stack of filthy magazines, which they went through thoroughly. They, they, never, they, never, they never saw any of it. So, lahab dollars is another type of crackpot. They, they don't, I mean, I need 10 cans of food because I told them, you know, I'm, my, they didn't ask me, they asked my partner, how come you need so much food? So he's just on holiday and he eats special food and he wants to live it up. You know, it's, it's another, you know. <laughs> they can't believe someone's going to, you know, they can't accuse you of leaving food in Russia when there's a plentiful supply of everything. So that, that, can't, that can't be. So what else you can do with it? As long as there's no money being brought in, they're very, they're terribly, someone tried to slip in money, you have to declare down to every cent what you brought in. And uh, when you come out, uh, you give a din becheshm how much money you have left, and what happened to the in the middle? You have to have receipts. I mean, it's, it's like it's like a din becheshm of, of uh, what you you know. And if it doesn't and if it doesn't match, huh? Yeah, you come and you keep all the receipts of money you change. They tell you that beforehand. They tell you you have to declare down to the last penny what you bring in. You have to declare what you bring out. You can't bring out more than one ruble of currency, and and you and you have to show what happened to everything. And they don't always check it, but you have to fill out a form, and the guy compares the two, and he looks at your receipts. It, it, some people they're, they're more lenient on the way out usually, but uh, like I felt it. You know, you, you what you came down with, and what you left with, and what happened in the middle. <laughs> you know, it's it's a. Uh, I mean, that's it. And you First of all, it's different people. And secondly, the food I ate up, and I didn't, I mean, I had two sweaters, they didn't, they didn't mock, they didn't write anything down, they didn't, I don't think they thought about it, that, that, I mean, really, or they know about it? I'm not sure, I don't, I can't tell, but I know, they've no they haven't asked anyone what happened all You have been listening to aceaudio.com. For information about our online services, visit our website. To contact one of our representatives, write to aishaudio at aish.com. Shalom from Jerusalem.